Today on Mayo Clinic Q&A. Globally, we have experienced a traumatic event, and it's not a one-time trauma. It is an ongoing trauma. During the COVID-19 pandemic, many are suffering from mental and emotional trauma. We'll hear from an expert who explains the importance of mental health during this trying time. My encouragement would be to be proactive when needed and reactive when needed. Welcome, everyone, to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm Dr. Helena Gazelka. We're recording this podcast on Monday, January the 25th, 2021. Well, every week at this time, Dr. Greg Poland joins us to give us an update on the science of COVID-19. But what about the mental and emotional toll that this nearly year-long pandemic is having on us? Lucky for us, there is a Poland expert on that topic as well. So today, here with us always, is Dr. Greg Poland, virology and infectious disease expert from Mayo Clinic, and Greg and I are joined today by his daughter, Caroline Poland. Caroline is a licensed mental health counselor with a specialty in trauma. She's a founder and CEO of Poland and Associates Consulting. Well, how wonderful. Thank you both for being here today. This is fun. Thank you. <laughs> what a joy for us to get the family involved today. Thanks, Caroline, for being here. Yes, thank you. Well, before we start on uh, talking with Caroline today, Greg, would you give our listeners an update on what's going on? What's the latest with COVID-19 and vaccinations? You know, I think the good part is we've seen a, uh, what I think is actually going to be a temporary but still substantial decrease in the number of deaths and new cases. Nonetheless, about one out of every 13 Americans has now been infected and about one out of every 814 have now died of COVID. One of the reasons I say I think this will be temporary is because of the increasing information we're getting from Europe and indeed even within the US showing that some of these new variants lead to about a 50% increase in transmissibility and as much as a 30% increase in death rate. It so sounds like that, Greg. It wasn't that long ago that you were telling us that number was not one in 900, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is amazing to see how fast uh, that, that has happened. The other thing about some of these new variants is that past infection does not protect you against these variants. So we're very concerned about that. The other thing that has come out is a new paper by the CDC showing that the rate of anaphylactic reactions to the Pfizer vaccine is about uh, 11 per million doses. And that same rate of anaphylaxis with the Moderna vaccine is about 2.5. Why would that be, Greg? Well, likely this relates to the difference in PEG and the lipids that are used to compose that lipid nanoparticle. And then apt to our point today is a brand new study that came out of the Kaiser system, which was an, uh, a, a survey of about a thousand healthcare workers around the US showing that almost half of them say they are burned out, depressed, and that their mental health has deteriorated. That's significant to me because, um, and the reason I suggested we bring Caroline on is she was one of the very first to say to the national media that the follow-on wave or after effect of COVID was going to be a mental, a, a, just a surge in mental health issues. So uh, we have time to talk about that today, and I think that'll be good. 
Yeah, that's great, Greg. It really is concerning. And that's just mental health workers. So imagine the rest of the population. Well, let's get to Caroline. Caroline, would you first uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice? Sure. So I am a licensed mental health counselor and a licensed clinical addiction counselor. And really my focus is on trauma. I'm certified in EMDR, which is a, a great type of therapy for people who've experienced trauma. And a, a slight plug for that, you actually don't have to talk about your traumatic experience through the EMDR process. Um, and in that way, we actually kind of help to protect individuals and their nervous system as they're going through the, the therapeutic process. So I'm also a international speaker and writer, and a lot of my speaking work is around work-life balance, uh, healthy workplaces, and then trauma-informed care in settings with people helpers. That's really interesting, Caroline, because I always sort of think of uh, having to talk in counseling is where you're actually discussing the actual events that, that cause you the stress. It's a really interesting approach. Right. And, and actually what we found is that that can actually be re-traumatizing. And so sometimes that, that leads people to not want to seek counseling because they don't want to have to talk through those things over and over. Um, and so EMDR is a great type of therapy that works on changing physiology because trauma isn't just our emotions or in our brain. Trauma is stored in our body and it fundamentally changes um, our, our chemical makeup. It, it changes our physiology. Theology. And so EMDR addresses that and our belief about ourselves within the world as related to the trauma that we've experienced. Caroline, tell us a little bit about uh, your work and how do you think that people are coping with the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, globally, we have experienced a traumatic event, and it's not a one-time trauma. It is an ongoing trauma that we wake up and experience every day, and some days we're very acutely aware of the traumatic experience that we're going through, and, and some days we're not as, as aware of that, um, and I think it's important to remember that trauma is not necessarily just kind of what we think about, but it's anything that impacts our felt sense of safety in the world, um, or another way of looking at that is anything that kicks us into a fight, flight, freeze response. Uh, so something as simple as leaving the house, engaging with a, a family member or friend face-to-face -face, um, might be something that kind of kicks us into that sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight dominance. And on our side, on the, on the physical health side, we see some of those manifestations in terms of fears and concerns about getting infected, the illness or death or caretaking of somebody, even the, the drama around, am I going to be able to get a vaccine? And are these right. vaccines safe for me? All of those just keep, in, in my view, Caroline, I'm interested to hear what you say, they just keep upping the ante of concern. And, and people uh, I know in the healthcare side are, are getting burned out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think, again, that, that speaks to what our nervous system and what our brains have had to deal with on, on a daily basis, um, because there are so many conditions of uncertainty, so many conditions of grief, um, anxiety, depression, stress, it all kind of mixes together. 
So when we then apply that to people in people helping professions, um, mental health, medical, you know, things like that, we are seeing high rates of compassion fatigue and burnout and, and secondary traumatic stress. And Caroline, I've been particularly impressed. I have a little uh, six-year-old grandson who has started kindergarten this year. And I was thinking about the ways that we are telling people to interact during this um, pandemic are so different than how we would normally socialize children. Don't touch people, stay away from people. What effect, uh, although necessary, do you think that social distancing and those uh, recommendations uh, are having on the mental health of the population? Absolutely. You know, we do need to physically distance right now. And uh, we, we don't want to confuse physical distancing with so social isolation, because isolation is a fuel for depression. Um, and our nervous systems actually are designed to need connection with other people to co-regulate and regulate ourselves. So we really want to make sure that we're still having moments that we can connect. Um, this, this is from my, my mom, a phrase that we have used, we may be apart, but we aren't alone. Um, and so Very nice. remember, you know, we are part of a, a large community of people. And even if we are, are distancing ourselves from people, we're still part of a we collective community of people. And I, I think that's really important to remember and then be creative about tapping into that community and maintaining those connections, even if it's at a distance. I think we're gonna get your mom on here next time too, Caroline. <laughs> Have the whole family. Yes. Um, you know, the, the, the stress of just the news. Uh, I sometimes kid with your dad before we, before we start recording this, that he's the Debbie Downer of COVID-19. Uh, I may be feeling perky on Monday morning, but he always has some new fact to share with us. And they're not always positive. A lot of good things about vaccines. So there has been a lot of good news. But there's a constant kind of barrage of stressful news that every time that people turn on the television or look at the computer. And how do you think that that plays a role in stress? Right. You know, we all have a stimulus barrier where we can take in pieces of information and data and things that, again, kick into that fight, flight, freeze response. But we all have a line and eventually we flip over that line and that's where it becomes unhealthy. Um, and so we really want to kind of not necessarily take an all or nothing approach, but how do we engage with the news, engage with the facts, uh, that we need to engage in without crossing that stimulus barrier so that that's not taking a stress toll on our body or kicking us into that fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. So we just want to be, you know, very mindful about setting those boundaries. How do I, you know, hit the headlines or maybe watch the first five minutes of the, the news for the day and then step away and do something that kind of grounds us back to the the present reality that we're in um, and allows us to stay within that window that's healthy without flipping over that stimulus barrier. Caroline, I have a practice in my own life where I uh, list things that I'm grateful for. That's my drive to work in the morning. I drive about 10 miles to work and I uh, have my morning gratefulness during that time. I'm wondering, are there uh, techniques that you teach people to help kind of counter the negativity that they're, that they're hearing so frequently now? 
Absolutely. And I, I think gratitude practice is so important. Um, and one thing that I like to clarify for people is that the gratitude and a practice of gratitude is not meant to take the hard and painful things away. It's meant to widen our reality so that we can hold both the painful and hard and uncertain things and the good things at the same time. Um, and so I, I think that's really important with that gratitude practice. But having some rhythm by which you are acknowledging verbally or in, in written form, those things that, that we do have on this day-to-day -day basis, the ways that we were able to connect, the ways that we could tap into the larger collective whole, I think is really important because again, it widens our reality to, to the both and instead of the either or, and that really impacts kind of that nervous system regulation again that, that helps to keep us grounded. You know, earlier, Caroline, you used the word trauma. I know that you are uh, specialized in uh, trauma psychology. And uh, I'm curious, I, obviously there are many people who have suffered deaths of loved ones, of friends, mm -hmm. uh, um, of family, and there's just a collective grief surrounding that as well as individual grief. But tell me how a pandemic equate, equates to a traumatic event for others. Yeah, and I, I really want to normalize people's felt experience over these last months. Sometimes it feels like um, we put a lot of shoulds on ourselves. I should be handling this better. I should just be grateful that I have, you know, fi fill in the blank. Um, and, and again, I want to really normalize that we are collectively, no matter who you look at, experience it experiencing an ongoing traumatic event and experiencing grief. And that takes a toll on us. It takes a toll on our relationships. And for everyone who's watching, there is nothing wrong with you when you're experiencing those things. It's just that this is the way that our body is designed to allow us to survive. Um, so, so trauma can look like any number of, of things within this for, you know, people in the workplace, if they're not receiving the appropriate support, the appropriate supplies, um, the, the appropriate protections that can serve as a trauma that, that becomes kind of a moral injury, a, an institutional betrayal, um, in that regard. And that is a traumatic event when, um, and, and this is one of the things that leads to burnout when our perceived or actual demands of the workplace don't line up with the resources that we have. Eventually, with that balance, if that's off, that's going to lead us to burnout. Um, hmm. Trauma can happen within broken relationships. It can happen, um, you know, again, with, with grief and loss and just it, it impacts every area of our life. You know, you mentioned uh, families there, Caroline. One, one of the things that interests me, and we've been fortunate in our family because we all tend to be sort of science-based, but I know families that uh, those relationships are ruptured over non-pharmaceutical interventions, over whether to get the vaccine, over precautions. It's happening in our families, it's happening in our workplaces, it's happening in our communities. Greg, it would be, you, you brought to mind for me that uh, almost everyone I know, I almost can't think of a colleague or a friend who agrees completely with their family or who has family members who are completely aligned about how to manage uh, this situation with COVID. It's either sort of political differences or uh, different understandings of the science mm -hmm. and, the, and the way to treat that. I know that you have talked 
um, quite a bit at different times about colleagues being under stress and uh, having the pressures of that and burnout. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. I mean, I, I cannot adequately transmit to you the number of phone calls and emails I get from colleagues around the world. And I have made it a point, which probably detrimentally impacts me, but I've made it a point that if they are a colleague in the healthcare uh, profession, I have an obligation to try to help, you know, up to what my physical and emotional limits are, because that's a way of supporting them in what they do. I think though that the biggest thing impacting healthcare uh, workers is the fact that our hours have greatly expanded and the disconnect between what we know to be true and what the politicians and the public has been led to believe. That disconnect is, uh, the way I characterize it is, it, it's almost maddening. We have an endless supply of people coming into the hospital, into our ICUs in various cities around, around the US at the same time that they're ignoring wearing a mask properly or distancing or taking advantage of a vaccine once it's available. And that's, that's emotionally tough to watch. It is. It really actually is maddening. I've thought that myself, that, well, it's, just, it's science. There are actual facts behind this. But the fact that people respond so emotionally to things. Caroline, what do you make of that in your practice that uh, we uh, clearly are emotional beings because facts don't always reach uh, to our actions? In fact, you, yeah. you've actually published on this very topic. <laughs> I, I, I have. If, if people are interested, they can go and Google any number of, of those articles, some of which I've done with my dad and some with other colleagues. Um, you know, I think that, that as a society, it, you know, and, and globally, we've confused or kind of equated feelings and facts. Feelings are important and feelings are cues that, that we can be curious about, but they are not facts. And we, we really need to keep those two separate. Um, facts don't require our approval and they don't care what we think. And we, we really want to distinguish between the two. But you know, biologically, we have this, this drive towards kind of our felt experience. Facts exist in our prefrontal cortex right up here. Um, and when we kick into that survival brain, when we get activated in a perception threat, we go back to our amygdala and you know feelings can really run the show um, in that in that state so we kind of have this biological drive that pushes us a little bit more towards feelings based decision making um, and through you know really helpful and healthy grounding and regulation techniques we can kick back into that prefrontal cortex that allows a little bit more access to those facts I'm not a psychologist, Caroline, but it has occurred to me at times that part of the process of adulthood is to be able to act uh, in spite of one's feelings about things or to, um, or to act on uh, fact or the way that is required in spite of feelings. But it seems to me that this pandemic has opened a Pandora's box of emotion for uh, people that is uh, no longer contained. Yes. Oh, absolutely. We're, you know, kind of driven by, by fear or when we can't regulate that fear anymore, we just kind of go into shutdown. That's kind of the freeze um, biological drive. And so we just disconnect. I'm not going to, you know, go after the facts. I'm not going to consider this a threat. And that's actually part of, you know, how our body 
tries to regulate it, itself and handle the emotions. But obviously, you know, in this case, that um, leads us more towards, you know, potentially dangerous decisions and outcomes than, than if we can stay engaged with those facts well. Well, Greg, you have uh, shared a cute little phrase with us that we repeat oftenly, often on this program about hands, face, and space to remember the things that we're to do, to wash our hands, to wear a mask, and to uh, physically distance ourselves. Caroline, you also have a very clever little phrase to help us remember um, some of the things that you'd want to share today. Head, heart, and body, I think it is. Would you tell us a little about that? So I'll just walk through each of those areas. You know, we are whole beings. We are integrated together. And so with our health and our wellness, we can't just work on one area and forget the others um, because we're whole beings, one area impacts the other. So with, with our head, we wanna be very um, intentional about our thinking patterns and the words that we use when we're in conditions of uncertainty, when we're experiencing a threat or a traumatic event, we, we go towards habitual ways of thinking that are often inaccurate or biased. We call those cognitive distortions. And um, those things we know increase our anxiety or depression or panic, um, they actually dysregulate us. And so examples of that could be all or nothing thinking where we kind of make things extreme, words like always, never, everyone, no one, um, that just kind of almost hijack our nervous system and ramp us up. Um, or, or catastrophizing language where things are horrible, terrible, miserable, unsurvivable. Now, certainly there are some things within this context that have been pretty horrible and miserable, but we want to make sure that we're choosing words that accurately align with the situation that we're in, uh, you know, and we don't want to label something that's just uncomfortable or sad as miserable or terrible, because then our nervous systems respond to that. So a, a way to kind of uh, start to work on that, you can Google lists of co uh, cognitive distortions, but there's a lot of really good thought records out there that actually walk you through a process of recognizing your unhealthy or unhelpful thought patterns and challenging them and changing them, not necessarily to a fake, you know, positive experience, but a realistic and balanced experience as well. So that's kind of the, the head idea. Then we're gonna move down to our heart. And with our heart, that is where we experience our emotions and our feelings and where we connect to other people. So we wanna to connect to our emotions. Our emotions are, are very important that we, we attend to them because again, they're cues. They're not necessarily facts, but they're important cues that allow us to engage appropriately in um, a variety of things in our life, including uh, giving ourselves a, a felt experience of self-compassion, uh, normalizing that things are hard or painful or confusing. Uh, and it's okay that, that we have feelings about that. Uh, and then our heart allows us to engage in emotional regulation techniques, sensory grounding, deep breathing, some of those things that we know are really good for us. And then we wanna just check in and make sure that we are regularly connecting to other people and to our community while also maintaining appropriate physical distancing. So that's what we're connecting to when we connect to our heart. 
And then we just go to our body, you know, as a whole and engaging in those really good physical health rhythms that, that we know are helpful, that we get good sleep, that we have kind of a, a regular and consistent wake and sleep cycle, that, that we have balanced eating, um, which allows for some good snacking too, and vegetables, appropriate protein, <laughs> things like that. Um, I was raised to believe that you eat chocolate at the end of every meal. So um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we want right. to have that, that good rhythm, you know, in, in eating physical movement, uh, getting into nature. Nature is one of the most psychologically healthy things for us. We need, you know, natural light to hit our eyes, to set off, you know, the chemicals that we need throughout the day. So we just want to make sure that we are, are moving and, and breathing appropriately. What a great uh, balance, Caroline. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that's that's what we're getting at. We're not trying to move towards a place of perfection. We are going to have hard feelings. We have hard experiences. Um, that is part of being human. I, I often say to people, welcome to your humanness. It's That's all you can be. So how do we embrace our humanness and, and give ourselves grace for that and understand that that the struggle right now is is not a failing on our part. It is a very normal reaction to a set of very abnormal circumstances that we're living in. And remember that we're whole people. So we want to integrate all of these different areas in our life. I thought the concept of self-compassion is, is a good one that you don't hear people talk about too often about having compassion for oneself. We usually think of that as, uh, to display that toward other people. Yeah, and there's a lot of really good research around self-compassion. Kristen Neff is, is one of the leading researchers in that area. Um, but what we find is the more compassion we can give to ourselves, um, because that's helping to regulate our nervous system, we're more productive, we connect healthier to other people. And of course, um, stress impacts our immune system negatively. So the more self-compassion that we give to ourselves that actually serves as a protective barrier to our immune system and, and immune functioning and serves as a protective barrier to compassion fatigue and secondary traumatic stress as well. And um, it struck me as you were discussing all of this, I was thinking about the body part, how it, we have come to such different ways of working for so many people that they're not leaving and going to an office necessarily anymore. It's a, quite a change. And so they've changed their eating patterns, their uh, working out patterns, et cetera. And now it's a new year. So it might be time to sort of reassess and set some goals because we are living in a different reality right now. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that is really speaks to just being intentional about showing up to our lives. There's a phrase that I, I love. I think um, many of you watching can resonate with this, the idea of waking sleep, where we just kind of go through the motions and we're not really intentional about thinking about what we want or what we need or incorporating resiliency or self-compassion practices. It's just kind of a we're awake, but we're kind of in, in sleep as we're moving towards that. So kind of waking up to ourselves in the present here and now moment and being aware of what we need and what protective strategies we can put into place and who we need to pull into our community, I think is, real, is really, really important, especially when we don't have the same rhythms that we've relied on at maybe at any other point in our adult lives. 
you know, hearing you talk, Caroline, really impacts me in terms of a reminder. You know, as a physician, I deal mostly with people's physical ailments and often refer those mental health issues that I become aware of to somebody else. But there's a lot the individual can do. For example, we talk about physical health. One doesn't just endorse the concept of physical activity. You take actual, personal, explicit, intentional uh, efforts toward physical activity and health. And the same is, it strikes me from what you're saying, the same is true with mental health. There are explicit practices we could and should uh, engage in, especially in a globally traumatic time like this, to build in some resiliency and, and health. So that that's going to become a more intentional part of my own counseling of patients. Yeah, you know, I, I think that is really important. And, you know, we all have physical health, and we all have mental health. And so I think, it you know, this pandemic is kind of exposing things that maybe we haven't addressed um, as important as, as we should have or could have in the past. And I think it would be great if businesses and organizations, institutions, schools would not just focus on the physical or kind of, yes. you know, the, the wellness benefits from HR, but also to incorporate the, the mental health side of things where we could be proactive about talking about compassion fatigue or what a trauma-informed life in the workplace looks like. I, I think those things would really benefit us because we show up to work, we show up to our relationships with our physical health and with our mental and emotional health. You know, the, the other thing that it strikes me too is oftentimes, especially in a time like this, it's not so easy to go and get some advice from a mental health counselor about what kind of practices could I put um, you know, into place. But with telehealth now, and I know Caroline, you're doing a lot of this in your practice, that, isn't that a lot easier for people to access now? Oh, absolutely. I, I, th I think, or I really hope that telehealth continues for, for us within mental health, because I think it, it opens up um, it, mental health services with a lot more ease, potentially, where people don't have to take an hour from work plus drive time that they can just connect from their office. If you have a child who's homesick, you don't have to cancel your appointment. You just, you know, go into a room by yourself and have access to your counselor. So, um, I, I think it really opens up the field of mental health to individuals um, with a lot more regularity than, than we otherwise had. Absolutely. See, we're finding some good things about COVID today. Yeah, yeah. Some good yeah. innovations. I love what you said, Caroline, about the whole person care. I, um, as you know, practice pain medicine, and it is has always been um, very obvious to me uh, that that I can't treat patients physically only, but that they have to also be receiving care for uh, their psychological being and their spiritual being. And so uh, I always encourage that. I love to hear you uh, give such a beautiful summary of that today. Thank you. Thank you. Any last comments for us, Greg or Caroline? Caroline, you want to go first? Yeah, I, I just... Uh, 
for anyone who's listening to this, I, I really want you to know that you struggling is not a failure on your part, it is nothing to be ashamed of. This is, this is a global experience. And whether you see people struggling or not, every person that you, you look at that you see has had to do deep wrestling in the middle of this, who has gone through trauma, who's gone through grief and, um, my encouragement would be to be proactive when needed and reactive when needed uh, to work on your mental health in the same way that we do with our physical health. We all have a doctor. What if we all had a counselor that we could connect to when we need it? That, that isn't a failure. Uh, it's a sign of strength and courage and bravery when we reach out and we're willing to face the hard things in our life. Um, so I, I just want to give that encouragement and uh, for healthcare providers, um, I, again, just I, I want to extend a, a, a massive dose of gratitude um, from me and knowing the toll that that has taken. And um, you know, there's there's a lot. I, I have a YouTube channel, Poland Associates Consulting. I have some videos on compassion fatigue and the nervous system and regulation techniques. You know, do some of those good things. And when you, you hit secondary traumatic stress or burnout, again, those, those things aren't failings on your part. So reach out to a counselor and have that counselor come alongside and, and support you as well in that. You know, for me, I think just hearing this is a, is a really good reminder. I get so focused on the biology, the virology, because that's what I'm called upon to address. And it's easy to focus only on that. But it also urges me to say, you know what, I've, I've got to intentionally address the mental health side of this with my patients and my colleagues, checking in with them to seeing how they're doing might just be what somebody needs to hang on. That's wonderful. Thanks to both of you for being here today. Thank you. It's been a fun conversation with Dr. Greg Poland, our infectious disease expert from Mayo Clinic, and his, doc and his daughter, Caroline Poland, who's a mental health counselor with a specialty in trauma psychology. She's the CEO of Poland and Associates Consulting and has a regular practice there. Thanks so much to both of you for being here. I know that I learned something. I sure hope that you did too. We wish everyone a wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.